The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez, the podcast that offers practical advice and tips on how to run and grow your small business. The How of Business helps aspiring entrepreneurs and small business owners achieve their definition of success and overcome challenges that get in their way. This podcast series focuses on the everyday common business issues, challenges, and opportunities that face the small business owner. So here now are your hosts of The How of Business, David and Henry. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today is Neil Berman. Neil, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Henry. Looking forward to chatting today. We're glad to have you. Uh, Neil is an entrepreneur, speaker, a blog author, and the founder of Delivera. Delivera is an email marketing platform that has helped businesses execute effective marketing campaigns for more than 17 years. And we're going to talk about that, specifically email marketing. Uh, when he started Delivera, Neil didn't pursue the classic entrepreneurial startup model where you raise a bunch of money, grow as fast as possible, and then plan for some kind of exit. Uh, between his conservative mindset and a desire for independence, he chose not to seek outside investors, and instead he grew through his own efforts, his own pace, bootstrapping, if you will, and initially started Delivera out of his own home for $600. And we'll chat a little bit about that interesting story of founding Delivera. Neil, before Delivera, had a successful career in accounting. And in 1999, he gave up being a CPA to launch Delivera, as we said, as an email marketing business. It was the uh, decision that had people scratching their heads, including his wife, based on the research I've done. We'll chat about that. Uh, but of course, that was 1999. And there wasn't a whole lot of traffic on the internet back then. But today, as Neil has shared, there are approximately 82.6 billion emails that are sent and received every single day. Phenomenal amount of traffic. And so Deliver is dedicating to helping uh, their clients get that right, using email to grow revenues, to acquire new customers, to continue relationships with existing customers. So today's show, we're gonna dive into Neil's entrepreneurial journey, and we're going to talk about email marketing for small business owners. So a great topic. We've got a great expert on this. And so, and Neil lives in the Indianapolis area. Is that correct, Neil? Uh, Indianapolis, Indiana. Indiana. So Neil Berman, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Henry. Uh, Indianapolis is, uh, is curious to me because my daughter is currently en route from Bloomington, where she's an IU freshman finishing her first semester, heading to the airport and coming home tonight, hopefully. Well, you must be an excited father. I am. I am terribly excited. And we, it looks like we've skirted the storms there. So I think she'll be able to get out without any issues weather-wise. Uh, yeah, luckily we're a little bit south of, uh, of all the weather today. Yeah, yeah, perfect, perfect timing. All right, well, very good. Let's, uh, let's get into it. And I, usually I'd like to start back in the beginning when you were in school. It looks like if I did my research right, you were an accounting major in college. Is that right? Yeah, at the University of Minnesota. 
And so back then, did you know that was, was, your, was your intention? You were going to be a CPA? Tell us about what your thoughts were back then. Uh, well, I was a uh, uh, less than stellar student <laughs> in college, uh, but I was practical. So not knowing what I wanted to do for a career, uh, I took uh, uh, you know business administration uh, degree with a county major, feeling that that would be practical, and you know whatever career I ended up with, uh, that would uh, you know have some applications. So you know I partied hard through school, but uh, <laughs> fortunately I picked up a few tools along the way. Yeah, I know. I hear you. You know, it's one of those things we're challenged with now with my daughter. She's she's doing very well as a student, but she's struggling with some of the classes. And, you know, it's hard for, for when you're in it to see that you just got to fight through it, right, and get through it and get out at the other end with your degree, hopefully. Well, you know, when I first got into college, it was, it was, uh, it was easy. Um, you know, I cruised through the first couple of years. But when you get to about the third year of college, mm. all you have left is the smart people. And, <laughs> and the courses get harder and the pace picks up. Right. Which, uh, uh, which was, uh, I think that's still the way it is. Uh, but when you get out of school into into the real world, uh, the pace really picks up. It's it's just a different animal out there when, uh, you know, people are paying you uh, to get uh, work done. So, uh, you know, uh, it's it's been a few years since I've been back there, but the pace hasn't changed, and you know, I enjoy the uh, challenge. Yeah. yeah. No doubt. So when you were in college, did you, 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 did you think you'd have your own firm? In other words, be an entrepreneur in that sense? Uh, well, I'll tell you, uh, you know, I grew up in a small business family. My, uh, my father owned a family shoe store. Wow. And, uh, you know, I grew up, uh, you know, running stock. You make sure the boxes were uh, straight and, you know, helping customers. So I had a background in owning your own business because I saw what my family did. So I think I, you know, probably had a uh, a bent towards that direction rather than the, than going through, uh, you know, the, the corporate hierarchy, uh, which a lot of my classmates were looking to do. Mm -hmm. What were your impressions back then? If you think back to your dad and running a business, were they positive memories, or did he bring home all of the issues and problems? Did you think that I'm never going to touch a small business? What were your your recollections of that time and, and how you perceived it then? Uh, well, I think uh, that experience influenced uh, you know, my choice of going into software because uh, what I saw uh, when you own a, a business that has inventory, mm -hmm. uh, that inventory, uh, it, uh, particularly in the shoe business, uh, you, you, know, you had issues with all the sizes or not having sizes, and then you had styles going in and out of style, and uh, when I looked to start my business, I wanted to eliminate all those problems that I saw in uh, in retailing fashion. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. And those were before the days of a lot of the just-in-time inventory evolutions and all those kinds of things that make it so much easier for a, a retailer like that to manage their inventory. So it must must have been quite the uh, quite the effort on his part to manage all of that efficiently and manage cash flow as a result. Yeah, you know, he, he had to order shoes uh, or cases of shoes months ahead, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, they show up, and you just got to hope people like them, right. and you, you really never know. To me, that was a little bit too risky. Yeah. So when did you decide to start your own CPA firm? Was that uh, shortly after college, or what, what happened right after college and leading up to starting your own firm? Uh, so I, I've worked on both sides of the table, both as a CPA, uh, working for a CPA firm, and as a controller. Uh, so when I when I left accounting, that's what I was doing. I was working on the uh, client side uh, as a controller, 
so I think I've had three uh, accounting careers in my life uh, that I just referred mm. to. So what was it that happens then that got you to a point where you decided I need to go a different direction away from accounting and start a completely different business? What happened? Uh, I would uh, summarize it as a midlife career crisis. <laughs> and, uh, you know, at the, in 1999, uh, there was a thing called the dot-com boom. And, uh, you know, the, the Internet was uh, on everybody's uh, talk show. And, you know, I looked at that and said, you know, this, this is really grabbing my imagination and I want to get into this Internet thing. Uh, and my wife said, you know, you've got to be nuts. You've got, you know, a degree in accounting or uh, you've got a CPA certificate. You're making good money. What are you thinking about? <laughs> and I said, you know, honey, I'm just sick of this stuff. I want to do something different. And she said, OK, I'll make you a deal. Uh, you can try it for a year, and if it doesn't work, you're going to go back and be an accountant, right? <laughs> so I said, okay, you support us for a year. You know, she was working at the post office. Uh, you know, they, they pay pretty good, and uh, we had our health insurance benefits. Uh, and uh, so that's how it happened. She said, okay, I'll pay the bills for a year, and you can go do your thing, and we'll meet up here in 12 months see where we're at. And so what happened 12 months later? Uh, well, I went about... Uh, 11 months with a total of $5,000 worth of income for that year. And it was getting down to the point where, you know, I was starting to look for a job again. But, uh, you know, for whatever reason, uh, you know, I was out making sales calls, uh, working out of my dining room, and I came across a client that had a $5,000 per month budget. And I signed him up, and that's all I needed to get things going. Fantastic. Got some traction after that. Wow, wow. And amazing how that happens sometimes at the seemingly 11th hour that that one deal comes along that makes the difference you know you know I've read a number of books of uh, of entrepreneurs that have grown businesses much larger than mine and it's not a straight path to success no. uh, there's a lot of pitfalls and there's a lot of weaving and swerving uh, and uh, you know a lot of people just don't get there but you know some fortunately uh, and you get through that minefield and come out the other end with uh, something tangible. Yeah. You had mentioned in another interview as I was doing research or I read it somewhere that somebody had given you the advice when considering a business to look for always faster, better, cheaper. Was that your dad's advice? Was that right? Uh, no, that's a former employer. Ah, former employer. Okay. Yeah. So I was a controller for him. Very smart guy. He said, uh, Neil, if you ever want to start a business... Uh, and if it meets these criteria, go for it. And the criteria, as you just mentioned, uh, was faster, better, cheaper. So he is a man of few words. <laughs> <laughs> so when I'm looking for this internet business, you know, I, I, you know, I wrote that down on a piece of paper, and, and I'm surfing around trying to figure out what to do. And for whatever reason, my light bulb went off. Again, my wife's working at the post office, and I'm thinking, you know, what about this email thing? Um, it's, it's faster than postal, it's uh, cheaper than postal and more convenient and therefore better. And I figured that email was going to take business from postal. Basically, I told my wife, I'm going to try to put you out of a job. Interesting. <laughs> and, but, uh, you know, what's, what's interesting, Neil, is that most people will have an idea either that they've been nurturing for a while that, that has come to them and then they might even start developing it while they still keep your job. In your case, if I've understanding correctly, you, you left the CPA business and thought about an idea, which is rare. What, what, what compelled you to take that approach? I mean, that has a lot higher, quote unquote, risk than mostly how most people do it. 
Okay, so keep in mind, I really didn't have an idea, didn't know what I wanted to do, but I had what I would consider investment or business parameters. Uh, so I wanted uh, a business on the internet that didn't uh, deliver physically any merchandise, harking back to my you know, shoe store days. Right. I wanted something where you're just delivering information. I wanted an infrastructure play, I call that something that wouldn't go out of style, uh, that you know, would be uh, around for years. And you know, I had a couple other criteria, and you know, I, I looked at email, and it it, uh, it looked like uh, it would meet all those criteria and and have some uh, lasting value. And uh, you know, I took a chance, and you know, with a little bit of luck and a lot of hard work, uh, we are today sending uh, billions—that's with the B—of emails uh, per month, and we have. Um, uh, a lot of customers. Yeah, it's very interesting. So I get what you're saying, that even though you did not have a business model per se, you had parameters already that you had been giving thought to and that had been developing in your mind when you took this leap. And so then you started looking based on those parameters. Yeah, and keep in mind, I'm very conservative, uh, you know, green eye shade accountant type. So <laughs> I, I, I was looking to manage risk as much as I was looking to grow a business. So yeah. it wasn't about getting rich quick. It was about, you know, about a long term plan with patience, determination uh, that, you know, that I could spend really the next 20 years with. And th yeah. that's how I started. And I just stuck to my guns. And you had confidence back then, I suppose, that once you came up with the idea, and had a couple of breaks, perhaps that you would you had the experience to know how to manage it well, especially from a financial perspective. I suspect. Yeah, so I worked with a lot of businesses, and you know I see what they did right and wrong. And you know, the the one thing that every small business owner, anybody attempting to go into business, uh, needs to manage every day when you get out of bed is I call it cash flow. You have to have more coming in than going out. Uh, and if you ever break that rule, uh, you, you go broke. Right. So I was—I just made sure that at the end of the day, I had at least a dollar more than I had when I started. Yeah, I hear you. So who were your competitors back then in '99 when you started? Well, uh, um, this is this is interesting. Uh, there, there really wasn't uh, many competitors back then, and, and people didn't have. Uh, email on their business cards yet. I, I remember going to a networking session hmm. because I didn't have any money to advertise, you know, trying to drum up some business and, you know, told the table what I was doing. And one guy says, like, do you make a living doing this? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, I hope to someday. Uh, so uh, there were no competitors at all. Uh, I, we were one of the first uh, email companies uh, around. Uh, and uh, now I think we probably have 250 competitors out okay. there worldwide. So there's it's, it's quite a difference. Yeah. So do providers like, uh, obviously I've tried to get an understanding of what you provide, and I think I understand most of it. But are, so are, are providers like Constant Contact partial competitors? In other words, they offer some of what you offer? Uh, yes, we're in the same space. Okay. Uh, but every, uh, every competitor has a little, a, a bit of a different way of approaching their business in order to differentiate uh, you know, their product and service from, uh, from others. And we, we do that as well. Yeah. So one of the things I noticed, or I think I felt and read between the lines as I was doing the research, is you've done a tremendous job of instilling a culture within Delivera from the start. 
and uh, the videotape, the video in particular of your office manager talking about it, I noticed in the background in, in one of the scenes, it looked like there was almost what I refer to in my business as kind of a manifesto, what we do and what we don't do was up on the wall in one of the hallways. Do you know what I'm talking about? Obviously, you yes. probably do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we, uh, we're, we're big on culture, and culture is more than you know, just the accoutrements around the office. Uh, we actually have six cultural values that we uh, have painted on the conference room wall. You know, things like uh, we communicate with openness and candor. We look towards the long-term future. We exist to serve the customer. And uh, everything we do around here is embedded with, with those six cultural values. And we, I think the people aspect of the business, uh, along with the technology, is, uh, is important. Uh, that a, a tool alone today uh, in the marketing world, which is changing uh, incredibly fast and is getting more complicated, uh, you know, our, our, our customers come to us because in addition to technology, they get a coach. And uh, so we, we invest uh, heavily uh, in, in our people uh, so that uh, they're able to coach our clients appropriately. Yeah, great stuff. Neil, in my experience, when it comes to culture, it, it obviously takes different forms and shapes and you has to be inculcated completely in everything you do, including and in particular in the screening and hiring process. So how do you all bring that there so that you make sure that who you hire is a match and a fit for this culture that you have within Delivera? Uh, so, yeah, we hire against the culture. We, we for example, uh, you know, hand and interviewee uh, our six cultural values with an explanation of, of each. And we say, well, we'll we're going to be back in five minutes. So I want you to read these over. And then we come back and we ask, we say, uh, so of the six values, which one do you think that you could adopt and act out uh, the easiest? And then we ask uh, of the six, which would be the most difficult? And then we dig into that uh, and, and try to understand. In, in addition to that, we, you know, we give a uh, uh, testing. So there's uh, we, we want to know you know what your communication style is, uh, if you're uh, gregarious or you know if you're uh, more introverted. And so we're really careful about letting people in. Uh, there's a saying that you hire slow and fire fast, but we're trying to uh, uh, reduce turnover or, or staff churn to the extent possible. Yeah, and I love we that. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. Good. Uh, and we think the culture helps in doing that because. Uh, you know, millennials today, and you know, we have a lot of 20-somethings and 30-somethings around here, uh, for whatever reason, uh, have a different idea about what a career uh, should, should be like. And, and one of those ideas is that it needs some purpose. And uh, they're looking for community, uh, and they're also looking for a good pay and, and, and an interesting job. But in addition to that, there's, there's some of the soft stuff that is important to keep people around and attract, attract the best and brightest. And so we're, we're attempting to surround them with uh, with those sorts of, of uh, environment. Yeah, great stuff. Great takeaways there. We do some of those same things, but I love the idea of using, of giving them those, those six values and then having that kind of begin or lead the discussion in the interview. That's a fantastic idea. Love that. Uh, you've also said that um, you, you're trying to be deliberately on the edge. What do you mean by being deliberately on the edge? Uh, so... We're a technology company, but we're in the in the marketing space. So when you think of marketers, take the technology away. You're thinking of creative people. Uh, you know, you're, you're thinking about images and colors. And so, for on the edge for us means 
you know, we don't want to be staid software types, uh, in, uh, even though we have some of them around here, uh, but we want to have fun and we want our, our clientele to feel the love and, and you know, feel that we really enjoy ourselves and enjoy serving them. So being on the edge really is, is about the, the personal side of the business and being transparent. Mm. Love that. All right, you've shared uh, and you and you monitor and you track. Obviously, it's your business. These very interesting statistics on emails. I share a couple of them here and then like to chat about them. You estimated that ninety-one percent of consumers check email at least once a day on their smartphones, and also that email is approximately forty times more effective at acquiring new business than like Facebook or Twitter. Uh, so why why is that? Why, why is it that despite all of the noise, all of the spam that I get in my inbox, email is still so effective? Uh, well, uh, I, I got a couple answers for that. Uh, uh, one, uh, you know, thank you, uh, Apple for uh, and Samsung for you know mobile phones, yeah. uh, because uh, the one of the top five apps that people view regularly on the phone is email. So I think it's it's working only because we've got our phones in our hand and we're when we're standing in line, you know, waiting to pay for something. Uh, we're, what do we do? We've, we're looking at our phones and you know we're checking our social, we're checking the weather, we're checking the news, and we're checking our email. So uh, I, I think it's just a matter of uh, the right technology at the right time. Uh, in addition to that, uh, if you want to sell something uh, online, uh, email is really the one channel that is accepted as a commercial channel. You can send a buy from me email and people will not be mad about that. You know, assuming it's, it's relevant and, and timely and not overdone, whereby it's, it's hard to send a buy signal through other channels. So for example, on Facebook, you can put an ad there, but most people aren't, aren't going to see that ad and uh, Facebook might not even show it in, in, in the, uh, online if they don't feel it's relevant to the viewer. So with email, there's no filtering. If you've got an address, it's uh, it's going to show up. So two things I'm hearing there. One is that it's highly likely I'm going to get it as the recipient. And it seems to me like it's least intrusive, at least from a perception perspective. If I'm on Facebook or listening to a podcast or listening to the radio, commercials become intrusive. I don't, I didn't ask for it, but I'm getting it whether I like it or not. An email, I can check at, at my, uh, when I want to, right, at my control. Is that part of it? Uh, it is. Now, this is all subject to a rule in our business, and we call that permission marketing. Uh, so this is the opposite of spam. So uh, if you send mail to people that you don't know, and they don't know you and they don't know why you're sending, they're gonna hit the delete or the spam button, that doesn't work. But what a small businessman needs to do is to know who they're sending, get permission to send it. Now, it doesn't have to be necessarily overt where they fill out a form, uh, but if you meet them at a networking event, uh, if, if they're part of your, your social club or your chamber of commerce and they know you and you send them an email, they're, you know, they're apt to accept that. So that's the key in, in this 40 to 1 uh, return on email is send mail to people who know you. Yeah, yeah, that's a great qualifier. And so let's just stay on that topic. What other tips have you seen that work well for small business owners 
let's say we're talking about a business owner for that for this example that is a retail type of business so business to consumer what other things have you seen to work well to gather those emails uh well there's there's a number of things uh if, if you're a, a brick and mortar retailer you want to collect that at the cash register uh, either by asking or uh, by having a sign uh, 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 right, right on the desk where people can fill in their own email address. Or lastly, there's a, a tool we uh, suggest called Text to Subscribe, where uh, you can uh, you know, text uh, uh, to uh, a short code and it'll reply with what's your email address. And you just sign up using your phone and that way it's more secure. Uh, so that would be uh, what I would suggest for brick and mortar for online. Uh, the uh, the pop-up, that irritating pop-up that says, uh, you know, give us your email address and we'll return something to you of value. It really, really works. So I uh, would suggest anybody with a store do a pop-up. And then lastly, if you have a store, uh, this is important to understand that uh, about 70% of uh, your shopping carts uh, are abandoned for whatever reason. So you, you want to do uh, what we call cart abandonment emails. Uh, whereby whoever you're using, us or a competitor, uh, you're reminding people that they, they left something in the shopping cart and uh, they should come back and finish. And uh, you might give them a, a, a reason to do that with uh, either free shipping or, or a discount on an additional item or whatever you feel would be most effective. Yeah, great tips. So let me work backwards to these things. On the abandoned carts, I was just curious, I don't have a lot of experience with online commerce, but when you do remind people, are there any kind of general statistics of how many people then do finish that purchase? You know, I don't have that number on the tip of my tongue. Uh, but what we do in conjunction with our clients is we do a lot of testing. Uh, so the question I get is, well, Neil, how many, you know, ban and card emails should I send till I stop? Mm. And, you know, we suggest, well, you should send maybe one after a couple hours, uh, maybe one the second day, and then wait a couple days and send a third. And then try different offers, you know, the free shipping, the discount, or nothing, uh, and see what works. And then once, once you find there's a trend, and at some point in time, the percentage of carts that recovered, it's going to level out. Uh, and basically what you're trying to do is optimize the situation. But, you know, every store sells different merchandise. Every store has uh, different clientele. And uh, every store has to test and optimize uh, their abandoned cart practices. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, on the pop-up, I have that on my website. Now, my understanding, though, and I'd like to get your input on it, is that Google is going to make that not a good thing for your website come January sometime. What, are your, what do you know about that? Uh, you know, I've seen some talk about that. Uh, you know, we use third-party pop-ups. And uh, I'm just waiting for those experts to tell me uh, how they're going to overcome uh, this, the, the, the rumored Google change. So uh, I don't have all my facts yet, and I'm waiting for the experts to publish something so we can react accordingly. Yeah, fair enough. I would say to our listeners, just stay on top of that and make sure you're aware of that and that you don't get caught by that. What I've heard the rumor be is that Google's now going to start penalizing a site that does that. Their intent is they're saying that if you're on a mobile phone, and I, I get it because, you know, we're, we're on both sides of it, and you're on a mobile phone and those pop-ups come up, they don't perform well and they really become extremely intrusive. And I think that's the motivation, but we shall see, like you said. So stay posted. I'm sure you all will share that info with your clients when and if it does happen. 
And then back to in-store, that's exactly the example you gave is what we've been doing. Uh, one of my businesses is a self-serve frozen dessert restaurant. So we have clients coming in and we do exactly like you said, we have a sign up, a physical sign up sheet at the front desk. And the incentive is that you get, you're going to get emailed after you join a free cup coupon. What are your thoughts on using an incentive like that to get somebody's email? Yeah, I love that. And we recommend our clients do that. As an example, uh, we, we have some restaurant clients and uh, we printed up table tents for them. Uh, and on the table tent, it says sign up for our, our email club and get a free beverage. Uh, so while they're waiting, uh, you know, they sign up and all they have to do is show the uh, that they signed up, which we send out an instant email saying, you know, welcome to the club. Mm-hmm. And if they show that uh, to the, uh, the the wait person, uh, they get a free beverage. That has really been successful. So, um, you know, any call to action where you can get people that are already shopping with you uh, to get on a contact list, that you know, that's that's those are your best customers. And what you're trying to do is increase frequency of purchase with them. Okay, good, good. Yeah, my concern had always been: is it are they just giving it to me for that, and then they're going to unsubscribe? The numbers have not shown that. That has not been the case. We've been doing that for quite some time now. And yeah, you get some unsubscribes after they get their free coupon, but it's a small minority. And so, thanks for that clarification and input there. Um, you talk about now, let's get a little bit more into the, the email crafting itself and this whole concept of personalizing the message and how that makes it much more effective. Talk to us about that, if you would, please, Neil. Yeah, so I'm going to refer to an, an age-old direct uh, mail uh, model, and that is uh, 70% of the success of, of a direct mail piece is the audience or the recipient. 20% is your offer or call to action and 10% is creative. And what I see uh, you know, our customers doing is it's, they kind of flip that on its end. They spend a lot of time on creative. Mm. Uh, they may or may not have a call to action. And then you know, I may ask, so uh, who are you sending these uh, emails to? And they go, oh, to my list. I'm stopping there because they really don't know who they're sending it to. So my, my uh, you know, my, uh, recommendation is that's where you start is with the data and uh, I would spend less time on creative and more on strategy around who you're sending it to who are they how are they reacting with your website you know with your email with your social and if you were put yourself in their shoes you know what kind of content would would you expect to receive that you would want to consume so when we're talking about personalization I need to segment my list into certain categories and then give those categories as I'm learning more and more what, what they want, more of what they want. Is that what we're talking about? It is. So, you know, what's the first step in segmentation? Because, you know, you might say, well, that's all fine and good, Neil, but I've just got a bunch of email addresses. And how do I segment that? Uh, so I'd say the easiest way is to divide your recipient list into the people that are opening the emails and the people that are not. And the are the nots can be half of most people's email list. And I would segregate those separately from my normal communications and do something different mm-hmm. and try to re-engage those. That would be the first step in segmentation is, is to get more people engaged and treat the ones that ignore you different from the ones that are passionate about you. Yeah. 
Now, that's an easy first step that everybody can do. Now, of course, that assumes you're using some sort of tool like Delivera, some sort of automation to help you do that. If you're doing this yourself, it's almost impossible with emails if you get to any kind of volume, not to, manage, not to mention you can't manage unsubscribes and all those kinds of legal things. Um, I'll back up to the personalization. Does it also mean the simple little things like including their name in the email? Does that matter? Uh, so, uh, you know, having a, you know, a Dear Henry uh, in the salutation of an email is a good idea. Uh, what, what I have found, though, is if you put Henry in the subject line, it actually detracts from success. Mm. That's, I thought that was very interesting. Is that because it's such a tactic of the spammers that, that uh, it becomes people just ignore that? Uh, you know, I think when people see their, their first name in, uh, in the subject line, they get suspicious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I'm thinking too. Um, because again, it's such a, such a overused trick by the spammers. <laughs> very interesting. Um, so we talked about some advice for small business owners on how to build and how to grow. We've talked about segmentation and personalization. What are some of the other common mistakes? You do a lot of coaching, and so that's one of the unique things that with your offering where it's not just an online, unpersonal service, but you actually get a coach that helps you through it. So you've seen a lot of things that people do wrong or not doing as well. What are some of those other things you observe that small business owners get wrong about email marketing? Uh, what I would suggest is to not look at email marketing uh, as a siloed marketing channel. Uh, meaning, in order to be really successful at marketing, in addition to email, you should have an active social media strategy, uh, you should be doing direct mail, you should be making phone calls, and, and you should maybe be, be texting, we call that SMS. And within our platform and our competitors, uh, there are ways using drip marketing to tie that all together uh, and uh, hit people in different places uh, with different messages and different channels so that wherever they are, even if they don't read your email, uh, they're going to see an offer or see your name and you will be reminding them to shop with you. It all so, works together, right? Yeah. So the coordination of, of more than one channel is frequently overlooked or it's disjointed and that, that's really uh, critical for uh, being successful in, in, in your marketing effort. You also talk a lot about the lack of a strategy. Is that, and I think that's part of what you're saying here, that lack of an overall strategy for marketing. Is this what you're explaining now with making it all cohesive and not just having this silo of email? Uh, yeah, so an example of lack of strategy would be, uh, uh, for example, the boss expects uh, a monthly newsletter to go out on the last Friday of the month. And everybody scrambles on Thursday to figure out what to put in there, and they get they get it out the door. Yeah. Uh, there's no strategy there, and I'm pretty sure you're not getting any 40 to 1 return based on that last minute get it out the door type of uh, activity. Instead, as an example, I got to believe it needs to be in line with your tone, your message, your mission. In other words, those those favorite customers of yours, those fans of yours who want to get more from you, it needs to be in line with that experience, right? And if it's disjointed, then it doesn't resonate as well with them. Uh, yes, and I think this goes back to our discussion around segmentation. Uh, I mean, there's, there's some, uh, some customers just love you, they're going to pay full price, and every time that you contact them, however, they're going to come in and buy something. Let's just say that's, that's, the, that's the best case. 
Um, so your strategy for them is completely different than your strategy for uh, a buyer that came in with a coupon and you never saw them again. So uh, I think, again, it's about strategy, about segmentation, about understanding uh, the, the motivations of the different buyer personas that you deal with on a regular basis. Yeah. Another thing that we did, we haven't done it in a while, and we need to do it again, is we did a survey through email of them rating us. And that, I think, would be then the results of that. I did some segmentation where those people that rated us a five, those I considered my, fav my best fans. And that's a way of segmenting as well with that group of my most loyal fans. Is that, is that a good idea? Oh, love, love uh, surveys, uh, love getting outside, uh, I call it the four walls, and, and talking to people and trying to understand uh, what's happening out there and, and that, that is, is not inside you know, the, your business or your office. Uh, you, you miss a lot if you're just talking to your coworkers. You've got to talk to your, your customers and prospects as, yeah. as well. Yeah. So we, you mentioned the monthly newsletter as an example. This is a big topic. I'm certainly challenged with it. Everybody I speak with who are small business owners is this topic of frequency. How often do I send something? What are your general thoughts and opinion on that? Uh, it depends. And uh, I'm dodging the question, but I'm going to give you an answer. Uh, so, for example, uh, we have a client. It's the uh, Indianapolis Indians baseball team. And in season, uh, they're sending out uh, two, three, four uh, emails a day uh, to uh, their audience of fourth graders. I'm, I'm kidding here, of course. And, <laughs> and every one of those gets read and nobody unsubscribes and they can't get enough of, you know, what's going on with the team and the players and the game and, you know, what happened with the game yesterday and, you know, all, all of the activity around the, the you know, baseball team. Uh, is very popular, even three, four times a day. On the other hand, uh, if if I've got an attorney and my law firm sends me an email more than once every three months, I'm gonna like go. Oh, so, why are you sending me this? Because you know I only talk to you about every five years. So different kind of businesses, different different frequencies. Uh, you just have to put yourself in the shoes of your customers and say, what do you think would be reasonable? Yeah, that that makes perfect sense. Uh, and then, of course, like you've alluded to already, you have to test and, and see what works over time and what the response is and all those key measures to email marketing. I want to yep. touch on drip campaigns. I know a little bit about it, but I suspect that for a lot of our listeners, they may know a lot of what we've talked about in general in emails and email campaigns, but not necessarily what a drip campaign is. Would you explain what that is? Well, we call it a drip campaign because it's like a leaky faucet. It, uh, it just keeps dripping whether you want to or not. Um, but I'm going to give you an example of a drip campaign so you can visualize what I'm talking about. Uh, you know, it ties together uh, web page visits, uh, email opens and clicks, uh, and a number of marketing channels into a cohesive uh, cadence. So, uh, for example, you know, I went to Edmunds.com the other day and, you know, I'm trying to figure out what my used car valued at because I'm, I'm thinking of buying a Ford pickup. And so I you know, put that information into Edmunds and uh, they send me the value of the car and then they send my email address over to the Ford dealer uh, who sends me an email with you know, a list of here's, here's the F-150s we have in stock, Neil. We got a message from Edmunds that you're interested. So I click on one of those and then a couple days later, uh, you know, I get a, a, a brochure in the mail 
uh, with all the interior colors and it's all glossy and it's in my hand, uh, it's tactile. Uh, and uh, then a couple days later, uh, you know, a salesman on the floor invites me in for a free test drive. All of those drips can be coordinated within the deliver platform, so they happen automatically. So every time something comes in the top of the funnel, a number of things come out the bottom depending on uh, certain logic, and it can be just about anything you can dream up. So we're not the only company that does that. But those are really, really effective, that type of drip campaign. And you can't do that effectively without, like you said, the platform and the automation component of that. It, it would be pretty impossible to manage pretty quickly. Well, it wouldn't scale. I yeah, mean, exactly. you know, past one or two people, uh, you, you're going to have a full-time person doing that. And uh, it, it just wouldn't work out. Yeah. So, you, you know, I, I would like to say you set it and forget it, but you've got to go back and, and you know, reevaluate how it's working. Uh, but these are email campaigns on a one-to-one -one basis. We're sending one email to one person at a drip. This is not, you know, sending hundreds or thousands or hundreds of thousands. It's, it's very targeted, and as a result, it's very relevant, and, and it becomes much more successful. Great. So, Neil, would you please give us the, the brief elevator pitch on, on Delivera, what the services are in, in a nutshell that you offer your clients? Uh, yeah, so Delivera is uh, an email marketing automation platform. Uh, that includes your traditional email, uh, automated emails, uh, text message, outputs to postal and to call centers or to salespeople. And we do that platform-wise with the addition of a coach. And I think that's a, a, a big necessity today because when we're talking about drip campaigns and connecting to websites uh, and outputting to postal, it's like this is getting kind of complicated for the typical small businessman. So you need someone there to, to help you along the way. And fortunately, we do that for free. And I, I would choose a vendor, doesn't have to be us, uh, that will talk to you on the telephone and uh, go, go beyond uh, just uh, giving you tech support or, or sending you an email and, and, and saying, yeah, check out this uh, latest case study and white paper if you are, are looking for an answer. Yeah, I think that component is, is a is an important one having used email marketing platforms and what I'm using now works well, but it's years of experience and learning. And what happens is, yeah, there's a lot of tools there, but the basic stuff you'll get done, you'll get an email out, no problem. You'll manage a list, but it's all these other nuances of how to make it better and how to make it more effective. That's the stuff that you need help on. Most small business owners do anyway, has been my experience. Yeah, I say go to an expert that does that every day for a living, and they just know what works and what doesn't and can steer you in the right direction with very little effort. Yeah, agreed. All right, we'll take a personal turn here, Neil. Looking back now on your life, your business, and your personal life, what can you share with us have been the keys or some of the keys to your success? Uh, well, I'm going to boil it down to two words, and that's a perseverance and determination. And uh, I didn't actually make that up myself. I read a book about uh, McDonald's written by Ray Kroc, and they asked him, you know, what was his secret to success. And uh, that's what he said, persistence and determination. And I took that to heart, uh, and uh, that's, that's uh, really the foundation, uh, I believe, for my success is never quitting. Uh, just going to stay in that race until the end. And uh, you know, there's a, a fable about the turtle and the hare. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm the lowly turtle, just, uh, you know, keeps on keeping on. I love that. Yeah, I, I can re that resonates with me. Neil, what would you say you love most about what you do today? 
uh, I love helping professional marketers be successful. I love having young people grow in their career. Uh, I love uh, knowing that they have a stable living and can have families. And uh, it's just a wonderful time to, uh, to be in business uh, in the United States where everything seems to be going the right way. And even though there's some bumps along the road, uh, I think we all have a great future in this country of ours. Love that and agree. So books, would love to get a book recommendation from you. You mentioned uh, one of the biographies of Ray Kroc, uh, but is there another book that you would recommend to our listeners? Uh, the last book I read has a catchy title, uh, which reads, uh, Great CEOs Are Lazy. <laughs> and I, I was actually at a luncheon where the author was speaking, and uh, it, I think every small businessman should read that book. What it really tells you is what you should be doing during the day and what you should not be doing. And it talks about working on the business as much as in the business. Uh, don't just do what you like. Surround yourself with the people that uh, fill your gaps and you know, work on a couple big rocks during the year and don't get too absorbed in all the details. And I think that's very good advice. After you read it, was there something you can share that you did differently or did more of or less of? Uh, yes, I went out and hired a, uh, a general manager to run my business. Uh, and uh, after, after, after you know, 17 years of doing it myself, I went through the book and I was doing pretty much everything right. Uh, but I was too mired in the details for a company our size. We're doing millions of dollars a year now. So uh, I read the book and went out and hired a general manager, and uh, it's been liberating, uh, so to speak. Yeah, fantastic. Great takeaway. All right, wrap it up with two last questions. What uh, parting piece of advice, last thought, would you like to share with our listeners? Uh, well, I'm going to suggest uh, everybody goes to uh, Delivera.com. That's D as in dog. Uh, E-L-I-V as in Victor, R-A.com. Uh, we've got some free offers on the site. Uh, we have a pop-up, oh, that dreaded pop-up, where you can get a free uh, uh, book on uh, how to improve your email marketing. And if you're more curious and want to poke around the software, you can sign up for a free trial at Delibra.com. Fantastic. And we'll have links to that if you didn't get that on the show notes page for this episode. Neil, this has been enlightening. I've learned some stuff. Uh, continue to learning from your free resources even and then taking a look at your, your software solution and your services solution. Thanks for sharing today. Thanks for being with us. Uh, enjoyed it, Henry, and uh, you know, look forward to staying in touch. Thank you. Folks, this is Henry Lopez. You've been listening to another episode of The How of Business. If you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, we would welcome and thank you for subscribing to our show. And we look forward to having you join us on the next episode of The How of Business. Thank you for listening to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez. We hope you found practical ideas to help you start, manage, and grow your business. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave a comment on iTunes and go by LevanteBusinessGroup.com and learn more about Levante's resources to help you with your small business. Until next time, thanks for listening and go live your dream.